Yo on the arc shoots a three and scores it. Yoli Childs for three. Shot and go by Lizzie Brady. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Good evening, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building on the BYU campus in Provo, Utah, for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. Thanks for joining us live on BYU Radio, coast-to-coast on satellite via Sirius XM 143. We are now also on 107.9 FM in northern Utah. We remain on 89.1 FM HD2 as well. We are live online at byuradio.org and the BYU Radio app and on demand at our Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel podcast or on our show page archives at byuradio.org. First up tonight, a conversation with T.J. Hawes. On the day before, the BYU basketball program starts up practices in preparation for the 2018-19 season. Following T.J., I'll visit with former BYU defensive lineman Jan Jorgensen, who 10 years ago was part of one of the most uh, memorable individual plays in BYU football history at the University of Washington. And with the Cougs and Huskies set to meet on Saturday, we're catching up with Jan and our Catching Up with the Cougars segment. We start tonight's show on the hardwoods with a member of one of the basketball program's legacy families, T.J. Haas, the son of Marty and brother of Tyler, who both preceded him and occupy multiple places in the Cougar Hoops record books. And T.J. has already made his own mark as he's achieved first-team all-conference status becoming the first BYU player since Danny Ainge to do so as a freshman. And now in only two seasons at BYU, TJ has already entered the program's top 10 list in consecutive games started, as he has started all 69 games of his college career. He is in the BYU top 15 in career three-pointers made, top 10 in three-pointers per game, has recorded the eighth longest three-point streak in BYU Hoops history, and will early this season join BYU's 1,000-point club. And on the eve of BYU's first day, of official practices. It is a pleasure to welcome TJ Haas in behind the mic. TJ, thanks for joining me here in Studio 2. Thanks for having me today, Greg. So how would you describe your first two seasons as a BYU basketball player? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. I I feel like uh, my first year um, you know, was a super fun year. I, I played with a lot of guys I played with in high school and um, you know, kind of got used to college basketball a little bit and playing against bigger, more talented guys. And, um, you know, I thought personally, uh, it was a good year for me. Um, overall as a team, you know, I still, our goals haven't been accomplished yet. Um, and, but overall my, my freshman year I thought was, was a great experience for me. And I thought I learned a lot my sophomore year. Um, you know, it wasn't my best. And, uh, that year was, was a little bit frustrating and uh you know again we didn't accomplish our our team goals and you know I didn't play as well as as I know I can play and uh, a lot of different factors going into that but you know I'm ready to um, I've had a great off season and I'm ready to go for this next year I'm looking forward to it I want to take you back to your first game at BYU regular season game Princeton at home in 2016-17 you became only the fourth BYU freshman to score 20 or more in your Cougar debut. You hit the number right on at 20. Do you remember your your feelings leading up to that game? I was I was very excited uh, going into that game. Um, I feel like growing up, I, I've had a tremendous amount of experience um, playing all over the country. Um, I did that a lot in high school. Played against you know top talent in the country, and um, so in terms of that aspect, I felt like I was I was ready to go play on the 
uh, college level. Um, but you know, it's, it's still, it's a, it's a new challenge. It's a new experience playing in the Marriott center, playing in front of 20,000 people is, is a new experience. Um, so there was a lot of nerves, but right when the ball tipped off, I was, you know, all those nerves went away and it, and it felt really good. Did it feel like it was a long time coming? Because between Tyler being here and you committing verbally, it almost felt like like we had to wait forever to get you. Yeah, no, I I committed uh, right at the beginning of my sophomore year. It was, you know, a couple weeks. It was my first few weeks at Lone Peak, and I was already committing to play uh, in college. And so it was a long time, um, but... You know, it just it felt like I belonged right when I got out there. And then there was the mission, of course, before you started playing here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mission, mission two years, and um, you see, you always have that, you know, in your head that you're coming back to play basketball. Um, but that's a long time as well. What are the most indelible memories from your freshman season that first year? Um, you know that we had a lot of we had a lot of great memories. Uh, I think. Um, you know, I think that Gonzaga game was probably was probably our best. And um, but you know, I I feel like off the floor that team was extremely united as well, and I had a lot of great friends. And um, those are those are some of the memories that I'll remember for you know a lifetime. But you know, that Gonzaga game. Definitely that experience of being the number one team in the country, I'll never forget. You just said a moment ago that your sophomore season wasn't your best, and some numbers did dip from freshman to sophomore, but you played more minutes, Mm -hmm. you had more assists, you had more steals, you had more blocks, uh, your free throw number went up, you had fewer fouls. In a lot of ways, you became a more well-rounded player. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say, and I I feel like a lot of that comes from just experience. Uh, I was a year older. And uh, I had a year under my belt and, you know, all that plays into, you know, improving less fouls, being mentally stronger and things like that. But um, so what was missing for you then last year? I think a lot of it was I, I, I didn't play how how I believe I can play. And um, that that was that was I was that was hard. And looking back on my career as a basketball player when I'm best uh, is when I have the most confidence in my in my game and um I've worked on I've worked on that a lot this summer and um that's how I've always been I've played confident since I was since I was a young kid playing against my brother at in elementary school or with his friends I've always played confident believing that I'm the best player out there on the floor and uh that was something that got away from me last year and I'm I'm looking forward to having that back this year. And what was the key, or is the key, to getting it back? You know, it, I it's really just believing in yourself and believing in the work that you've put in, and trusting that you step out on the floor and um, and you belong here, and the work that you put in will allow you to play how you want to play. And um, I missed that last year. But it's clear, TJ, you have a pretty high standard set for yourself. You were and are still an excellent basketball player in most any measure. But clearly there's a personal standard that, that you probably know best and it's tough to maybe interpret externally that you are, are pretty intent on, on reaching. Yeah, like I just said, you know, I, I every time I step out on the floor, I, I think it's great for me to, to believe I'm the best player out there. And, um, and that's huge for me. And so when you when, – when you have that, there are some expectations, but uh, ultimately I, I want to just play free and um, play with a confident mindset and not worry about those. 
Okay. Uh, BYU has played 69 games since you began your career, and you've played in all 69 games and started all 69 games. At what point does that become a thing for you where you go, wow, I've got a bit of a streak going here, and it'd be great to start every game I play or be available to play every game that BYU plays for my entire career? For sure. It's been a blessing so far that I've I've been healthy and I've been able to you know, start every game and um, – I just want to help this team win, and uh, in any way I can contribute to that, I I want to do. And um, if I can continue to start and continue to uh, to be my best self, then that would be great to to keep doing that for the rest of my time here. I think winning is the most important to me. Um, I look back on you know my high school career, and we won four state championships. And when you put that uh, that winning focus at um, the front of your mindset, you know, I, I feel like everything else lines up and you don't really have to worry about those individual accomplishments. They they end up happening at the end when you win games. You said earlier in the interview that you've uh, played around this country for a long time and that precedes your college days. Can you give listeners a sense of, of when basketball became kind of a full-time occupation for you when AAU now meant leaving town and and traveling around the country even as a young kid yeah well i i remember when i was in first grade i went to i went to florida to play in the national (laughs) au tournament and i was just a little kid um but i I didn't really play a a whole bunch on that team um you know i i came off the bench and things like that but um first grade so we're we're talking what six seven years old i mean what are you yeah yeah seven maybe seven or eight were you playing on a team with 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 the older kids a little bit or yeah older kids that was with that was with nick and golden holt who coaches at orem so and i thought that was a great experience for me as well to you know always play up a little bit and play against bigger stronger guys we were traveling quite a bit, and Florida was the farthest, but you know we were in Vegas a lot and California and things like that and as I got older, that just continued to grow. We just continued to travel more and more so at that point, you were in it, and this was now going to be kind of your in addition to your school life, this is kind of your life now, right yeah, and you know i I loved it. I loved going around and traveling and being with friends and you know just having those experiences you'll remember forever. Where, where was your dad in this mix at that point? Was he coaching you? Were you on a team with him, or or what was his role? Um, he he didn't help coach then. Um, we started. He started to help a little bit. I remember when I was in fifth grade, and then uh, once I got to be a seventh grader, he he became my head coach. Um, it was a Lone Peak Bantam team, and he became my head coach for a couple of years, and that was a great experience for me. When do you remember first being mindful that your dad was something of a, of a name at BYU? <laughs> uh he you know he really doesn't talk about it at home um you have to you have to really work to get stories out of him um or ask my mom she'll tell you all the stories <laughs> uh but you know I, I i knew he played basketball at byu for a long time um ever since i can remember and you know i've always had people come up to me and say your dad was so fast i I remember watching him, and he was just incredibly fast. He could outrun everyone, and so that's that's the biggest thing I've always heard about my dad. And at what point did you begin to realize that Tyler was a pretty special player in his own right? You know, I, I've always I've always known Tyler is an incredible player, and you know, just just growing up and watching him um, in the gym every morning in the summer, and setting that example for me on what it takes to to be a great basketball player. You know, I've seen it my whole life, and um, to see what he did here at BYU was no surprise to me. Um, 
I, I thought, you know, all his hard work was worth it, and he did a great job here. I'm sure that you're confident that your own natural skills would have emerged in, 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 in due time in, in a good way, but do you think you would be the player you are today if you didn't have Tyler as an older brother in your life? Uh, I don't think so. You know, I don't think I'd be where I am today. Um, just because I think it's, I think it's great to have someone that's older than you and and stronger than you. And just someone that I could always, I could always play one-on-one with. And I always had someone to look up to. And just like I said, his, his example growing up to me was, was incredible just on, on what it takes to be a great basketball player. And, uh, I saw that hard work pays off, and that helped me a lot growing up. Visiting with T.J. Haas here on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. We are brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, uh, Marty and Tyler's roles in uh, T.J.'s basketball life and then uh, bring it fast forward and see what awaits the 2018-19 BYU basketball season as well as practices start tomorrow. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. More with T.J. Haas next. Stay with us. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Craig Rubel. BYU basketball practices start officially tomorrow. Within a few weeks from now, there'll be the Cougar tip-off and exhibition games will be underway and the regular season will start in the first week of November on the Tuesday of that week at Nevada, BYU and Nevada. It'll be a heck of a way to start the season for the 2018-19 Cougars. We'll talk about them in a little bit as I visit with T.J. Haas. T.J. now starting his junior season at BYU. And, of course, T.J. Haas, part of a BYU basketball family. Uh, Dad Marty was a star back in the day. And, of course, uh, Tyler Haas, BYU's all-time leading scorer, preceding T.J. onto the Marriott Center Hardwoods. And uh, we ended off the first segment uh, before the break referencing a bit their role in your basketball life. But from a real technical standpoint, what would you say you took the most from your dad, Marty, and what would you say you took the most from Tyler in developing your game? That's a good question. Uh, my brother, for sure, like I said earlier, has has always been the hard work pays off. Uh, just watching him growing up has been has been an awesome experience for me, and his example has has just been. Um, incredible for me. And what was his daily routine? Uh, in the summer, he he was up at six and um, shooting with my dad till eight, and then he'd come home and you know maybe get a lift in, and then he was back over at the church later that day. And you know just any time he could find in the gym, he he was there. If he could find a pickup game, he was there. Uh, he was just a hoops junkie. He was always in the gym, and um, and that was great for me. And just that hard work is you know has helped me so much in my game to, you know, go back and lean on that and trust in all the hard work you put in and all the hours you put in. What was your dad teaching you? You know, my dad, it's hard to put, you know, into one thing what my dad has done for me in my game. Um, I, I think I think back to, you know, my younger days and just before and after every game, it's it's breaking down the game and talking about things we did well and things we didn't do well. And the number one thing my dad always talks to me about is effort. Um, he always says we can live with whatever happens as long as our effort is great. And so we'd always rank the effort from one to ten after games. And the times he wasn't as happy was, you know, when I was when I was lazier. Um, but we we still talk before and, and after every game. And 
you know, we still talk before and after every practice, mostly after practice. And, um, and we just, we break down what's going on and, and talk about things that we can get better with. And I, I know for a fact, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am today without my dad. He, he, he just wants us to, to be as successful as we can be. And growing up, it was never, come on, we're going to the gym. It was, it was up to us. And, but whatever we wanted to do, if we wanted to get up at five or four, whatever it was, you know, he was there to help us. And, and I think, you know, outside of basketball as well, it's a, it's a great bonding experience for us. And it's time for us to, to spend together as father and son. Um, and I look up to my dad a lot in that way. And I hope that I can, you know, be a similar father. And because of his approach to things, I've got to think that when he wasn't your coach, your actual coach is appreciated. He lets them do their jobs. For sure. No, he, he lets them do their job and he wants, he wants me to be as successful as I can be in, in the coach's way, you know, and, um, and we're just trying to, you know, it comes back to the basics. We're trying to give a great effort and we're trying to help our team win in any way possible. It's uh, because Tyler so recently preceded you, you came right after him. Uh, comparisons would be natural. And for a long time, years actually, people have been trying to compare your games. What's your stock answer now for that question in, in terms of how are you and Tyler different as, as players? Yeah, you really can't compare us. Uh, <laughs> we We are very different basketball players and that's interesting how that works, but... Yeah, ever since ever since I was younger, I've I've more, I feel like I'm more like my dad a little bit. I'm more of a point guard, um, and I try and use my speed as best as I can. And and Tyler's more of a, you know, run him off a few screens, and he's got an incredible mid range game. And uh, it's just it's hard to you know compare our games. Tyler's been playing professionally in different spots around the world since he left BYU, and he's back in it, right? Yes, so he's playing in Huesca, Spain. And uh, they just got there a few weeks ago, and it sounds like he he likes the coaching staff and he likes where he's at. It's a beautiful place. Um, his family's doing well, and so I'm I'm excited for him to have another experience uh, playing professional basketball, and I hope it can go really well for him. As a native Canadian, I was really happy when he got north of the border for a while. I wish it would worked out longer, but it was an interesting experience, if nothing else, for him up there. Yeah, no, I think the the Canadian experience was was a was a great experience for him, and. Um, I think he really liked it up there, and yeah, I, I wish it would have worked out a little bit longer for him as well. You got to see him when you were on your mission, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, so in my, I think it was my last transfer, uh, him and Summer came out, and we got to go get uh, lunch and hang out for a couple hours, and that was great for me. It was it was really cool to see him and his wife because you were serving in uh, you were serving in France. Yes, and he was playing in Spain, right? Yes, and so they had a couple days off, and they they took off to Paris, spent a day there and then I, they took a train down to Lyon and spent a couple hours with me which was great. You're now a BYU teammate of uh he was in your mission was he not? Yes. Jesse Wade was in the same mission as you. You got out before him a little bit? Yeah, so I came out about a year before him and um I was around him quite often and it was great to see him and and talk hoops a little bit with him and at that time you knew you were coming back to BYU and you knew that he was headed off to Gonzaga. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, no, that was that was interesting. Um, but you know, I've always um, respected his game, and I was happy for him, and I was excited to see what he could do at Gonzaga. And you know, we're super excited to have him here. At BYU. Yeah, now you've got him here, and we'll get to our current team here in a second. But just about Jesse, you won't get to, we won't get to see him as a player, but you've already seen him uh, as a teammate as you guys have been working out already. And uh, what what should fans expect uh, from Jesse Wade once he does begin to suit up and you get to actually be teammates on the floor together? 
Uh, Jesse's a great shooter, um, great shooter. And what I what I've noticed that he does really well so far is um, he comes off those ball screens and he can kind of get where he wants on the floor, which is which is very impressive. And uh, he makes great decisions, and I think he's going to be a great asset to this team. Tell us a bit about your current family situation. You are married. I am married. Um, our, I'm married to my wife, Lauren, and uh, our two-year anniversary was actually just last Saturday. Congratulations. So we've been married for a few years now, and things are going great. She's in school. She goes to UVU. Um, she's studying graphic design. Um, and so we're just happily married. Whether it's college or at the next level, being a quote-unquote basketball wife, it's a real thing, right? I mm-hmm. mean, she has to have a really solid idea of what makes you who you are and what you are as a basketball player and what that requires out of you. What would you say about a spouse and their role in helping a player be the best he can be even while he's at college? For sure. Being a basketball wife is a real thing, and Lauren's handled it so well, and she's been she's been so supportive of me, you know, being in the gym or being at practice or being on the road for a few days, and um, she always just says, I want to help you be the best that you can be, and whatever that takes, I'm, I'm here to help you, and um, so she's been awesome for me, and um, and I love her for that. When did you first meet her? I met her when I was 16 years old at a dance. <laughs> So high we, school dance, church high, dance, high school dance. Uh, we were both with other people, and we met at a we met at a group dance, and mm-hmm. um, and we've been dating ever since. Speaking of high school, uh, we kind of glossed over the Lone Peak situation earlier. Just bri- briefly mentioned it. It kind of took on a life of its own. Your high school career, winning a lot of games in a national championship and every state championship you could possibly win. When you look back at the Lone Peak situation, and then what it became at BYU, since a lot of you guys ended up at the same spot here in Provo, how do you characterize those times? You know, everyone thinks that you put together three or four very talented guys and you just start winning games. That's how it goes. And it's really not the case. You know, I think Quincy did a great job of, you know, knowing our strengths and weaknesses and putting us in positions to be successful. And, you know, really those guys in high school, all we cared about was winning. And it didn't matter who had 25 or 30 that night. We just wanted to get out there and win. And, you know, that allowed us to have great unity and have great chemistry out on the floor and and share the ball, make that extra pass. And, you know, whoever got the attention got the attention, but we were going to win games. I still would love to have played with Eric a few more years, um, but... You know he's he's doing he's doing great things over in Italy. Um, but yeah, there's it is nice not to have you know so much pressure on on two or three guys. Uh, just go out there and, and play our game and and be loose and free. You get to still be with Coach Lewis, of course. Quincy now is is uh, entering another year on the BYU staff. What does he bring to BYU from a tactical standpoint and coaching standpoint that you really appreciate? Uh, you know, in high school. The the biggest thing for him is is he wanted us all to, you know, every every time we stepped on the floor for practice, it was we're bringing our A game and we have our goal in mind. And um, I think this year he's he's really brought that to the table, and that we want to go to the NCAA tournament and we talk about it every day. And if we're not giving our best in practice, he he really gets after us. And um, and so I I think he sees our potential as a group. And um, it's important to him to help us see that as well. And if <clears throat> if we're not giving that effort every day, uh, he's not having it. Because of who Gonzaga is, it is as tough to win a league title in the WCC as it is, as it is any league with a dominant 
top-of-the-table team. But that's always going to be the goal every year is find a way to win the West Coast Conference. But right next to it is getting back to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, no, for sure. That's our that's our expectation. And uh, you see teams like Loyola Chicago last year make a run. And, um, and I, I believe that this team can figure that out as well. And... You know, if if we do the right things and we put winning first, I believe this team can go as far as we want to. Um, but it really takes that mentality from each guy, and if you don't have that, it can it can ruin it. And um, so I, I really believe in this team, and I, I think I know that believing is is one of the biggest things. And when you step on the floor with teams like Gonzaga or St. Mary's, you have to believe we are going to win this game. If any doubt comes into your mind it's hard to win those games Um, but I really do believe in this team and I believe if if we're all on the same page we can do big things you've already been working hard but tomorrow it gets real because practices start yep practices are a lot longer and a lot more intense and I'm really excited about it it's it goes by fast feels like the season just ended and, and we're back at it again but uh, like I said, I really believe in this team, and so I'm excited to get going with them. It's 15 guys. They all appear healthy and ready to roll. What are you most eager about to get this thing going? I don't know. I, I, I really like the style of play that we're playing this year. Uh, our team is, is How much, would you describe it? It's much faster this year. It's uh, a lot of up and down, uh, which is, is very different from last year. We were very slow and methodical, and we wanted to, you know, it was all about we're going to set this screen and this is where we want to pass. And this year it's, it's a lot more trust in our guys to, to make good decisions and, and run the floor. And we're trying to get shots for other guys. And uh, like I said, if, if we, if we're on that same page and we have that mentality of, you know, it doesn't matter who gets credit to win games, I, I think we can win a lot of games. Well, naming names gets difficult because then you leave out certain people, but I know that a couple of names immediately come to mind because of how good he was last year in Yoli Childs. What do you see from Yo's game right now? And then uh, your former high school teammate uh, gets back to BYU basketball with Nick Emery. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about what Yoli, what he brings to the table. And, um, you know, he, he runs the floor really, really well. He's uh, he's worked on his outside game a little bit this summer, and so he, he can stretch the floor a little bit for us, which is which is going to be huge in, in picking rolls and picking pops and things like that. Um, and, you know, when he brings 100% effort, uh, he's, he's very hard to guard, and uh, he does a lot of great things for us. And Nick, uh, Nick's been awesome this summer. He He's worked really hard, and... Um, I feel like he's getting back to who he used to be and playing the way he used to to play and he's just a tough guy Uh, he's always been a tough guy he's always been super competitive um, always cares about winning and so it's been it's been good to have those scrimmages this summer and playing pickup and just having that that mentality of winning that that he brings and uh, it makes our pickup games more intense and practices more intense, and he's fun to have around and fun to have on our team. Well, just a couple of names, and again, there are a lot more uh, involving newcomers and holdovers from last year that will help make this team exciting to watch, fun to watch, and a contender in the West Coast Conference for sure. Practices do start tomorrow, so it's uh, TJ's last day of freedom, and thanks for spending part of it here behind the mic. I appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. All right, that is TJ Howes. We will come back after this break and switch gears to the gridiron. I'll be visiting with Jan Jorgensen, former BYU defensive lineman and former GA coach. 
now a defensive coordinator out in California. We'll talk about that and flashback to BYU's last game at Washington as 10 years later it's BYU and the Huskies again this Saturday. We'll have Jan Jorgensen next. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel here on BYU Radio. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is time now for our Catching Up with the Cougars segment, brought to you by BYU alumni. BYU alumni chapters help students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find your chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Well, since the NCAA started keeping official defensive stats in the year 2000 among BYU defenders, only Kyle Van Noy has been more disruptive in the opponent's backfield than my next guest, Jan Jorgensen. Second to Van Noy in both career and single-season tackles for loss and quarterback hurries, Jan is the BYU leader in single-season and career sacks, having recorded 14 and 30, respectively. In his four seasons at BYU, he played in and started 52 games, while BYU won 43 of them. Following his BYU playing career, Jan explored the mixed martial arts world and was a successful fighter for a stint before returning to the gridiron as a high school coach and later as a grad assistant back at BYU. He has now continued his coaching career in California from where he joins us tonight. Jan Jorgensen, welcome in behind the mic and thanks for joining us on the line from uh, out west. No problem. Anytime for you, Greg. All right. So where are you these days? I am in Orange County. Um, I'm the defensive coordinator at a junior college out here. It's called Orange Coast College. In the midst of my own season, so uh, working hard and uh, and just trying to get these guys going. What kind of a league are you in? We're in a pretty good one out here. Um, a lot of the Orange County schools, um, Orange County is just it's it's full of really good junior college football, and we play a lot of good teams and they're all around the area. And um, so we're just battling them out every week. So, Jan, BYU this weekend is going to Seattle to play Washington for the first time there since 2008, and I can't believe it's been 10 years since BYU won that game 28-27, and uh, clearly you have a very unique perspective and recollections of that day. When I say it's been 10 years, first of all, how crazy is that to think about? Yeah, it makes me feel old, Greg. It makes me feel really old to think it was 10 years from that game. That game was one in which BYU came in on an 11-game win streak, the streak ultimately went to 16, but that was the 12th of the 16. So you're coming in on an 11-game win streak, and BYU was ranked in the top 20 that day as well. The Huskies would really struggle that year, but in that game, Jake Locker was still the quarterback, and they had a 14-7 lead, a 21-14 lead. They gave you a game. Yeah, they did. And I remember going into that game, we didn't know that they were going to end up struggling that year. We just had seen them play, I think it was week two, and had say, seen them play the week before and saw this this new quarterback, Jake Locker, just running around all over the place. He he really was. Um, I was thinking about this as we were getting ready for this interview, that he was basically Taysom Hill. People don't really remember him. He was built like a linebacker, could fly, had a, had a good arm, and remember getting ready for him. The other big thing about the game was that we hadn't beat a uh, – uh, at the time, a Power Five conference team uh, on the road in a while, and that was a monkey that we were looking to get off our back as a team because the previous two years that we had 
lost to I think it was Arizona, Boston College, and UCLA on the on the road. So we were trying to get that monkey off of our back as well. And so it was a big game for us going up there and trying to prove to the country that we could beat a Power Five team on the road and stop that stop Jake Locker was it was quite the ordeal. So it ended up being a great game, and it was one that came obviously down to the end. Locker ended up a couple of weeks after your game. I think he breaks his thumb and misses the rest of that year, but then came back and had a really successful Washington career and then, uh, and then of course, a professional career as well. On that day, yep. I mentioned the fact that you guys were down 21-14. Uh, to 14. You came back, take a 28-21 lead late. I think it's Dennis Pitta that puts you out in front with like maybe three, four minutes to go. They got down to the end zone very close to the end of the game. Yeah, well, and again, I, back to the whole Jake, Jake Locker conversation is that he was ultimately a great post quarter. He wasn't meant to be a guy who was under center and play a pro-style game. When he got to the NFL, people remember him for that and not kind of having a lackluster NFL career. But he was a spread quarterback, guy who could throw and run, and that's what he ended up doing in that final drive. I remember we got them to third down um, quite a few times in that drive, and it wasn't that he was completing passes. It was that he used his legs to scramble and, get first downs and you know it's hard to defend guys like that when you cover everyone up and you're tired because it's a two-minute drill and you're pass rushing all the time and D linemen and linebackers you get really tired and you have a guy like that can run around and find ways to to gain yards that weren't necessarily there he was able to slowly and kind of methodically work his way down and mostly just scrambling and making plays by himself. And when they scored the touchdown, I remember there wasn't a whole lot of time left. It was two seconds to go in the game when he scored oh, on the uh, – Yeah, and, and so it was his second It was his second touchdown run of the day. So the three-yarder mm-hmm. makes it 28-27, two seconds to go, and then everyone's yep. going to – and this was well disputed at the time, but by the rules, what Jake Locker did in celebration by throwing the ball in the air was technically a violation, and so they, they, they flagged him for unsportsmanlike conduct – which again, by, by, by the by, the book was was a violation, and so it made it a longer a longer PAT, basically like a thirty five yard field goal. Can you take us back to that to to that time and what you were being told and or thinking on the sideline as you saw Washington line up for for, for what turned out to be a, a much longer PAT? And it's interesting. I guess we can get into the field goal more after we talk about it, but leading into it. Um, it didn't change the fact whether it was a normal, for us, a field goal from the normal PAT position or from, from back. It doesn't, for us, it didn't make a big difference on our strategy. I just remember Coach Mendenhall bringing us over the sideline. It's funny that this happened a few times in my career where we needed to block field goals to win games. We'd just done it in the Vegas Bowl the year prior, and mm-hmm. Coach Mendenhall just said, okay, guys, go block it. Everyone go. Uh, give me all of your effort and do everything you can to, to block it. There's no worrying about fake. It's just all 11 um, going as hard as they can to try and uh, to to get the ball. And it's kind of what it was. And it's interesting how we just all kind of – I think we all kind of had a belief. You know, we'd come off some pretty big wins and miracle wins the previous two years with, like I said, the – um, the Vegas Bowl, the Utah games, and I say plural, the Utah games, that we all kind of just knew that we were going to find a way to pull it out, and we found a way to do it. And you got the block. Yeah, I got the block. And it's funny, like, people love to bring up that penalty. The only thing that changed is 
Yeah, I think Ty Willingham, who was their head coach after, said that he would he would have thought about going for two if the penalty wouldn't have happened. But, you know, that's hindsight. All they had to do was kick a kick – a, really kick the extra point the exact same way that they did before. It's the, how he kicks a normal extra point to a, uh, to a 30-yard field goal, whatever that became, is no different. And I um, – earlier in the game, in a few of their extra points, I kept slipping through. I kept, like, kind of slipping through and – but just never enough to kind of get there. But I knew, like, going out there that I was going to have an opportunity to block it because on every previous one, I kept squeezing through between, I think it was the guard and the tackle where I had lined up at. And I just kind of remember lining up and be like, okay, you got you have a chance to block this. You've come close getting through the times before. And um, where and I, I slipped through, I dove and stuck my hand out and the funny thing is I don't remember feeling the ball hit my hand I remember the like everybody scrambling around and then my hand just having the sting and pain in it like I, I didn't feel it when it actually happened I guess it's like a, a, a batter hitting a home run when they say they don't feel it come off the bat I just remember feeling the, the sting in my hand from blocking the ball but it was uh one of the more memorable experiences from my career BYU was ranked coming in Washington wasn't and they would really struggle that year but at that moment winning in Seattle against a team you thought would be pretty good and not having had that kind of win you talked about P5 on the road all those things at the moment it had to feel pretty huge right oh it felt huge and that team was a better team than what they ended up being like you said Jake broke his hand and you know, BYU fans over recent history and, you know, losing Taysom in a couple of different years, they understand what it's like and how your season changes when you lose your best player, who is your quarterback. I mean, um, that was a much better team than what their record ended up being, and it felt awesome. I still remember basically just talking trash to the to the reporters after the game, being like, you guys thought that we couldn't do it, and, you know, we had that chip on our shoulder, which you kind of have to build up as an athlete. Um, but it was it was an, it was a huge win for us. And you ended up uh, winning the first six games that season before TCU got you, and then you went on a nice little run again toward the end of the year. And and by the time your career was done, you had played fifty two games. That's four thirteen game seasons, and started all fifty two. Right? Yep. Yep. All fifty two of them. In recent weeks, I, I was uh, speaking with Dallas Reynolds on this show, and, and he got 51 out of 51 as a starter. He told me his brother Matt went 52 out of 52 as a starter. Those guys who can go four straight years and start every game from their freshman season on, and especially guys who play in the trenches and not have to miss a game due to injury, it's a really significant accomplishment, I think. Did you kind of realize as you were going along that I've got kind of got this streak going, and wouldn't it be cool to start every game at BYU that I play? You know, at the end, I kind of, I kind of realized that. I remember Jeff Tittle, who is uh, now an assistant athletic director at the time, was the head over um, public relations and media relations for for the football team. I remember him when it hit fifty straight. He came up and told me, like, "Do you realize that this is going on?" And I was like, "I guess." Like, <laughs> I, it's not something I've really paid attention to, but. I, I mean, I haven't missed a game. I've started every game. And he's like, I don't think anybody's ever done this before. And I just, just thought to myself, really? And he went back and checked and, and said that uh, and t- told me, like, yeah, like, I'm pretty sure it's not something that that we really keep stats on. 
but um, I'm pretty sure, like, if you finish your career, you may have started more games than any player in BYU history, and I just was pretty, pretty floored by that with all the people who have gone through there and who have played there. And I, I mean, it's it's a lot of luck. Um, like you said, when staying healthy at times is is more just about luck than anything else. You can't control whether you, in a lot of ways, whether you can get injured or not. But I give a lot of credit to the strength and conditioning staff who um, I worked hard for, for Coach Omar, Omer and for Justin, who's still there and who, you know, kept me strong and helped me stay healthy. And I'm sure, Jan, that what you think is maybe more important than anything is the fact that your team went 43-9 and in those 52 games. Yeah, exactly. I, when I tell people that I was a part of, a part of the winningest four years in BYU history, if they they uh, are pretty shocked, and I was. And it was an incredible run. We had some incredible wins. Every single win that we had over Utah all came down to the end, and winning three out of four there. Um, there's not a lot of players in the last little while who, who can say that, and um, that was awesome. The quarterbacks that I played with, starting my career playing with John Beck, finishing it the last few years playing with Max Hall. Um, love those guys. I still love those guys. They're some of the best fiery competitors I've ever been around, and they're a big credit to why um, we were able to do what we did. And it was it was just such a such an incredible four years. And being Broncos first, you know, uh, five years as a head coach, it was just a really really fun time. Very few guys can say they were a three-time first-team all-conference selections as Jan was. Jan was also a two-time captain to finish his BYU career. All those wins we just mentioned and and the sack and tackle for loss numbers all uh, among the tops in in BYU defensive history. A lot of great things accomplished. And as we take this break, uh, we'll come back on the other side. Talk about what got Jan to BYU and what he's been doing since his BYU playing days have ended. He's done a lot of varied and interesting things, including what he's doing right now. We'll talk some more with Jan Jorgensen as we continue. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. My conversation with Jan Jorgensen continues right after this. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is our Catching Up with the Cougars segment here on Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by BYU Alumni. Want to help BYU students but don't know how? You can with BYU Alumni Chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. And my guest in tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment is former BYU defensive lineman Jan Jorgensen. Uh, Jan joining me on the line from California, where he's now a JUCO defensive coordinator. And Jan, what I recall about your days at BYU frequently is that uh, Bronco would bring up your upbringing and how that kind of helped you be the kind of player you were. You're from Helper, Utah. You played at Carbon High School. How would you describe your upbringing, and what do you think Bronco was referencing when he talked about the kind of guy you were uh, in making you the defensive player you were at BYU? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think my upbringing is, plays a huge factor in why I was able to have the career that I had because I didn't have – you look at me and you, I don't have the uh, the physical tools that a lot of the other defensive linemen that have played at BYU have had. I I am comfortable enough with myself to admit that these days, where I wasn't back then. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
I grew up in a small town with a father who taught me how to work hard. My my dad coached um, everything, but he was the main thing that he did is he was the head football coach at the high school for a lot of years. Not really when I was playing. He was only there for one year as the head coach while I was playing. He kind of wanted to be in the background still coaching, but not be the head guy and have that shadow over me and over him. But he coached me in wrestling. He coached me in baseball, and I just grew up playing sports and my father really pushed me um, to just to everything I did just to be the hardest worker. It wasn't necessarily about the wins and the losses and about um, all of that. It was more that I just needed to go out there with effort. Every time I went out there to practice, I needed to work the hardest in the weight room. He really instilled that in me. And so um, I carried that into my college career and, I think that's ultimately what made me the, the player that I was, just that work ethic that he instilled in me. Your father is Jeff, and, uh, yeah. and, you're, and, and you're a coach's son and, and kind of a ways a football family because uh, brother J.D. played college ball, but not at BYU. Yeah, he played for the enemy. He uh, was up the, up the freeway up at the University of Utah. And it's interesting enough that my, my father raised us to hate BYU. My father played at Utah State, um, was very good friends with Coach McBride um, and the Utah football staff during that era while I was growing up. And so we were raised Utah and Utah State fans. BYU was a four-letter word in our house. <laughs> um, and so it's it's interesting that I, I ended up I ended up at BYU. Um, interesting and fortunate. I, I definitely am, am very happy I ended up there. So if you weren't brought up to, to want to end up at BYU and JD ended up at Utah and you, in fact, didn't verbally commit to BYU, you committed somewhere else right out of high school, didn't you? Yeah, I signed with the University of Kentucky. It was it was an interesting time. Um, I was set that I wanted to go play for the University of Utah. As a kid, I grew up dreaming of playing on that field. I went to games. I, it's funny. I tell Utah fans, that I've, that people that are Utah fans now, that even though I'm a BYU guy now, I've been a fan longer in my life than they have because <laughs> most of their fans didn't come around till what was like 2002. Because uh, I remember going to that stadium when it was half full and watching Utah games, I'd go to, you know, three games a year and we would go and we supported and I was really close with Ron McBride. And so I ended up verbally committing to University of Utah my senior year of high school. And then Ron McBride got fired. Um, Urban Meyer comes in, my brother's still there. And my brother just kind of said, told me that, uh, you know, like if you come here, Urban's a great coach, and but he's like, he's not that fun to play for. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, Ron got hired out of the University of Kentucky, Ron McBride, as the outside linebacker coach. They offered me a scholarship, so I signed to go out there. Um, then I went on a church mission, went to Boise, Idaho, a long ways away from home. Um, and while I was out there, I just kind of realized I wanted to, to be somewhere where I could play top level college football, but where my family could come to all my games and see me play and be there in the stands. So I started reaching out to schools, or at least I had my father start reaching out to schools. I couldn't really do a whole lot. I did what my mission president gave me permission that I could do. I could reach out on P days and do it that way, but. Um, I reached out to Boise State, to Utah again, and then to BYU. 
just because it kind of fit the description for what I was looking for. Then when it came time to, to make my decision, I sat down and I made a list and graded the pros and the cons for each one of the schools. And the only thing that I could write bad about BYU is that I had a personal dislike. And so <laughs> I, I looked at that and I said, well, this shouldn't be enough to keep me from going there. And when they offered me a scholarship, I took it and decided to go to BYU. So that's how it happens that somebody that grew up to think that BYU was a four-letter word ends up as a four-year starter at BYU, and you did end up loving life as a Cougar, right, Jan? Oh, yeah, I absolutely love it. I completely embraced the, the BYU way of doing things, and, and it was awesome. I, I, loved, I loved every minute of it. We talked about your BYU career in the first segment, and once your playing days ended, you've had an interesting path since. You've done a lot of different and interesting things, including coming back to BYU as a staffer for a time. Give us the quick version of your post-playing days, what you've done, and where you've been. So I had two dreams when I got done playing, and um, it was to actually to fight in the UFC and to uh, coach college football and start coach college football or coach high school. I wasn't really sure at the time. So um, my playing career ended faster than I thought. I thought I was going to get an opportunity to play in the NFL, and no one gave me one. And so um, I ended up doing sports talk radio for a little bit, but that was just to, to make a little money while I was training to fight. So I started fighting, and fighting was going well. I mean, I think I uh, – my record at the end uh, when I stopped was 8-1. and one. Um, You know, I was knocking on the door of the UFC, but was realizing I was at an age to where um, I either I needed to choose between fighting or, or coaching college football. Uh, the, if I kept fighting, I was going to get too old. There are some rules that um, you can only be so, so much time removed from college to be a, to be a GA. And so... I evaluated my life where I wanted to be, and you know, ten years from then, and I decided that I was going to get into coaching, and um, so I got an opportunity. Bronco gave me an opportunity to come and be a graduate assistant to begin my college football coaching career, and so I started with him. Very grateful for him and giving me that opportunity. And he left for Virginia, and Kalani gave me the opportunity to stay. And I'm very grateful for Kalani for giving me that opportunity and uh, stayed. I was there the last three years. And then you only have so much time to be a graduate assistant. My time was up and needed to find a job and got an opportunity to be a defensive coordinator out here at Orange Coast College. And there was also some time in there at Carbon High School, right? Yep. I spent a year there in the transition. And that was another big factor that helped me decide I wanted to coach college football. Loved my time there, but wanted to be at a higher level where I was kind of challenged a little bit more when it came to the game of football. And now you are a defensive coordinator for a junior college team in a very competitive situation there in California. You come off of that having coached under at BYU, a couple of two pretty good defensive coaches in Bronco and Kalani, different styles from both. What did you take from both those guys, and, and what do you appreciate from both those experiences that have helped you now as a D.C.? Shoot, this would be a whole nother, you know, half hour interview if I could go through all those things. <laughs> I've tried to marry the two, though, together. I learned a lot from both Bronco as a player and coaching um, on his staff for a year and then learned a ton from Kalani Sataki and really learned a ton from um, the defensive coaches that I coached with. Um, Ed Lamb, Eliza Tuyaki, Gennaro Guilford. Those guys taught me so much about defense and about coaching and um, the same thing with Broncos staff, Kelly Papinga, 
Nick Howe, Shane Hunter. I mean, I learned so much from those guys. Coach Kafusi, I can't leave him out. I learned I learned so much from them, and I've just tried to bring the best of what I felt from all of them and kind of have my philosophy. If you want, if you look at my defense, people would say it looks more like Broncos, but um, because I'm in a three-four, but I've taken a lot of the principles that I've learned from. Uh, Eliza Tuiaki and Ed Lamb and put those into my coverages here um, at Orange Coast. So I feel like it's the best of both worlds. Well, I, I'm not sure exactly uh, when we'll get a chance to speak again, but hopefully the season will go the way you want it to go out there in California and that uh, and that your coaching career will take you places you want to go. And it sure would be nice if uh, somewhere down the line uh, you end up as a Cougar once again. It was great having you here as a player and on the coaching staff, and we'd love to see you be a Cougar again uh, someday. Best of luck to you with your school out there at Orange Coast, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again sometime, and all the best to you, Jan. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thanks, Greg. Really appreciate it. All right, that is Jan Jorgensen. We will come back and wrap up tonight's show. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, and that was tonight's Catching Up with the Cougar segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. Thanks again to Jan Jorgensen. We're back to say so long right after this. Greg Grubel here. Thanks to our guests, TJ Haas and Jan Jorgensen. Thanks you for joining me as well. Behind the mic, we'll talk to you next Wednesday, 8 Eastern, 6 Mountain Time, right here on BYU Radio. Good night.